Happy Lay Day. Uh, let's all sing the song. May Day is Lay Day in Hawaii. That's all I know. Uh, and some of you are going, thank you, Jesus. That's <laughs> anyway, my wife wanted people to come up and dance, and it didn't work out. So um, let's turn our Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John. I'm going to talk about two questions. Who are you, and why are you here? So this past Friday, a bunch of us went to a prayer breakfast, um, kind of a misnomer because the last thing they don't pray much but uh but they had a great speaker uh his name is steve green he's the the president of hobby lobby so you know it's a christian uh, group he's also built the museum of the bible in washington dc and he said something fascinating about the bible he said the bible makes a radical claim about itself it's alive it's living so he goes why don't you write a book and in the book, proclaim, this book is alive. He said, no, it's not going to work that way. So he's referring to Hebrews chapter 4. So in verse 12, it says, for the word of God is alive. It's living. It's powerful. So it's life-changing. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, it says it goes piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. We're not sure what that means. We're not sure where the soul ends and the spirit begins because it's suggesting the Word of God can slice between that. The idea is it goes deep, it goes to your heart, and it's life-changing. Now watch this quote. He said, uh, Steve Green said, it's alive because you know that God is talking to you. He's speaking to you. This morning, may God do that with His Word. May he, you know, if we're just here, well, it's just another Sunday. I want God to speak to me. I want to be different when I leave this place than I was when I came in here. Amen? Three of you. Okay. All right. So how, John the Baptist this morning has asked two questions. I've already said I'm there. Who are you and why are you here? I believe that every believer needs to be able to answer those two questions. And hopefully today will help you to formulate your answer because other than that if you don't know who you are if you don't know why you're here you can be wasting your time you, you can be spinning your wheels and then you, you die and you go I don't want an angel to come up to me and go hey so what was that all about you know what were you doing I want to know who I am and why I'm here so in John 1 verses 6 and 7 John was said, he, it was said of John, he was sent here by God. How cool is that? He's on a mission, and he's sent with a testimony, with a message from God. So now we pick it up here in verse 19, what that message is. So verse 19, I'm reading from the New King James. Now this is the testimony of John. So this is his witness. This is what he's all about. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, we got, need to understand there's two groups there. A third group sends these two guys to ask Johnson, you know, these two questions. Who are you? And he confessed. And he didn't deny. He confessed, I'm not the Christ. Then they asked him, well, wh what then? Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight 
the way of the Lord. So who are you? And he quotes what the Bible says about him. How cool is that? Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. There's our third group of people in his first section. Priests, Levites, Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? Meaning, who gives you the right? Where do you get your authority? We didn't ordain you. You didn't go to Bible college. What are you doing out here? And he answered them, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you. You don't know him. It's he who coming after me is preferred before me. Notice this phrase whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Arbora, beyond the Jordan. So it's on the other side. Israel is on the west side of the Jordan. This took place on the east side of the Jordan River uh, where John was baptizing. All right. Fascinating stuff. So Matthew gives us even more info about who this John the Baptist was. Okay? It says he clothed himself with camel's hair. How many have tried that? I mean, is this in Ross? <laughs> is this in Macy's? You're going to find something? He's not like he's wearing Chuck Converse shoes. He's not wearing Levi's and, a, you know, a nice Aloha shirt. He's wearing camel hair. That doesn't sound comfortable, but, well, he has a belt. He's got a leather belt around his waist. So what's this guy eat? I want to know. Where's he sleep? What's he eat? He eats locusts and wild honey. You know, to get wild honey, you got to chase away wild honey bees. So I, I'm not sure how this guy operated all that stuff. But what he's saying is, I'm a simple man. My life, the emphasis of my life is not food and clothing. You compare that with 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 8, and Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, with food and clothing, with food and clothing, we'll be content. <laughs> Really? Is that true? It, it, John epitomizes that. For John, yeah, that, that can be said to me. I got food, I got clothing, I'm good. Then it goes on. I call him the original minimalist. Say that fast three times. I can't believe I did it that way, that clearly. But the background, his ministry caused revival. So we're going to go into, let's plan a, an outreach for John the Baptist. The bottom line is a ton of people are leaving Jerusalem, leaving Jericho, leaving wherever. They're going across this river to this place in the desert. We believe it's the same place where Joshua, thousands of years earlier, led the Jews across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. So in one sense, he's saying, hey, let's get back to our roots. This is where it really started for us. You know, the, the, the Jordan River kind of like crossing that was like getting filled with the Spirit. More than conquerors, we're going in to conquer the, the promised land. Let's go back to our roots. And, and so it's this crazy ministry that starts out there in the desert and a ton of people are going out there. All kinds, it's causing revival. So here's the higher ups back in Jerusalem going, should we feel threatened? We're losing people to this nutcase out in the desert. Uh, let's go out there, find out what's happening because revival's happening out there. He would even go up to soldiers, to Roman soldiers, and they'd say, hey, what do we do? Remember, he said, be content with your wages. Such good advice. 
So he, he'd go up to kings. He didn't care. He was salt. That's a major ingredient that's missing from many churches today, not being salt. So here this revival's going on, and the priests are sent out with the Levites. Priests would serve in the temple, and the Levites would help the priests. So the Pharisees are the ones that sent them out. The Pharisees stayed back in Jerusalem, said, okay, you priests and Levites, you go out there and ask these two questions. Pharisees, by the time of Jesus, they were just, they had the hardening of the arteries. But when they first started, they were right on. If you're familiar with the history, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. First book in the New Testament, of course, the Gospels, Matthew, basically starts with John proclaiming, get right. Between those two books, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years where you don't hear God speaking. That, that's like crazy. And after a while, after 200 years, you go, hey, was this stuff real? I don't know, it just sounds like stuff in a book. Yeah, I, I can't relate. I, I've never seen the earth open, swallow some guys and close up again. I've never seen a burning bush, so I'm not sure all this is true. The Pharisees said, listen, we feel that our nation is slipping, kind of like America needs this. We, we feel like we're not taking God seriously and out of zeal for God and zeal for the word, the Pharisees began. So right on, they were so right on in the beginning. What the problem was, they wanted victory. They wanted to overcome these temptations. And so they said, okay, we're going to have... We're going to have a law against that, and that law is going to hold us back from doing it. As a matter of fact, anyone who doesn't keep our law is out of it. And so they had one law after another. They were trying to legislate righteousness. Jump through these hoops. Keep all these laws. You'll be good. So a, a group that started off extremely zealous for God, right on, in time, and a bunch of man-made rules. They, they got sour. Now, some of them, Nicodemus, they get saved. But in the beginning, when Jesus first shows up, these guys are hardening of the arteries. They're, they're just a drag to be around. So, the priests, right? The, the Pharisees send the priests and the Levites, go ask John two questions. Who are you and, and why are you here? So, John the Baptist plans an outreach. Let's have fun with this. Think of an outreach today. I've been involved like in Summer Harvest. We do the stadium at Aloha Stadium. This was years ago. So John the Baptist says, okay, uh, where are you going to have it? I'm going to have it across the Jordan River. How are they going to get there? I don't know. Spirit of God will drop. No, 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 no. Let's be practical. Uh, let's get a stadium. No, no, we're just going to meet in the desert. Why would you do that, John? Nobody's going to come. No, no, the Spirit of God is going to draw them. And so, what are you doing for advertising? How about Facebook? How about TVs? How about, you know, we need, we, we need uh, a great sound system. We need a killer worship band. We need, like, movie stars to give testimonies or, or athletes, you know, football players that are just going to give their testimony and draw people to Jesus. John says, no, we're not doing any of that. And so here you are. You're part of his planning committee. And John's telling you what he's going to, you're, you're saying, John, I can't let you do that. 
you are setting yourself up for failure. So uh, let's find a stadium, a sound system, uh, maybe Tyler, Aaron are available to lead worship. What's your message going to be? John, I think you need a four-part series on how to make yourself better. A four-part sermon on uh, how to feel better about yourself, how to improve your community. John goes, no, I got one message. Uh, repent and <laughs> be baptized. So here you are in the committee. John, I, I love you. That's not going to work. I can't let you make a fool of yourself. You go out in the middle of the desert, cross some river, and then you have this message of repent. The bottom line, tons of people repented. And this is why news is getting back to, to Jerusalem. You guys got to check out what's going on out there. It's radical. People are getting right before God. So John, the name, means grace of God. Did you know that? Your name means grace of God. How cool is that? Any other Johns here? We love it. Grace of God. Grace of God says repent. You know, we think grace of God, oh yeah, it means to bless me. And then, well, yeah, yeah. But it basically says to repent. Repent is a 180 degree turn. It means I was going away from God. I need to be reconciled. God's still there waiting. I need to turn 100 degree, 180 and come back to him. I, and it says in uh, Acts 26, it's turning from darkness to the light. The light's really obvious where, where that is. So in Matthew, John the Baptist adds this. Hey, listen, I don't want lip service. God wants your heart. Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. What's that supposed to mean? Some people are all talk. They, have the right, they say the right words, they raise their hands during songs, and, but their lifestyle doesn't match up. And when that happens, I'm totally confused because you're telling me, hey, repent, get right with God, but you're not there. You haven't done anything. And so John the Baptist is saying, come on, guys. Prove, prove this relationship with Jesus by following him away from the darkness into the light, bear forth fruit. A papaya tree bears papaya. A Christian should bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. So bring forth fruit or else you will confuse everyone. Okay, this is what baptism means. Some of you are getting baptized today, so this dovetails perfectly with, with uh, or present tense as a church. It means to have a new identity. So baptizo or baptiza in the Greek was used when they would take a white garment and want to dye it purple, was like the royal color. And so they would baptize it in the purple dye. It goes down one identity, it comes up another identity. That's the whole idea. I go down like a sinner, I die down there, and I come up with a new identity, Jesus Christ. I'm now living for him. So here's the idea, whether it's the white fabric. Now, when a, when a Gentile became a Jew, this is some background to this. This is fascinating to me. So a Gentile was a non-Jew, and before Jesus comes around, they say, oh, I, I see the Jews have the way. I want to become a Jew. 
okay, you need to be baptized. And it was really humbling because the, the Gentile would say, I am renouncing my life of darkness. I am now embracing the Jewish lifestyle. They would go down, get baptized. They'd come out, strip down, and put on new clothes. Now, we don't do that part. But they would confess, I'm a sinner. I renounce my past. I'm embracing the Jewish lifestyle. So John the Baptist is saying to the Jews, you have to do what the Gentiles have been doing. I don't think so. I'm a Jew. I don't have to do what they're doing. Those scuzz buckets are below me. So for the Jews to do this en masse, a bunch of them with John the Baptist, it's a very humbling experience. Now, when a Christian, when a sinner becomes a Christian, it's a similar idea. It was by immersion. I don't make a big deal out of that. But it's by immersion in water while confessing their sins, it would say, and confessing Christ as their Savior. Have you ever done that? With my baptism, I didn't confess all my sins. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear all your dirty laundry. Actually, we don't have time, okay? But the thing is, they would do that. I think that's really humbling. It's like, this is a God moment. We're on holy ground. This person is getting right with God. And they've invited me to be part of this. And so they would confess their sins. They would confess their need for Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? I'm amazed at how many older Christians have never been water baptized, as if, as if it's an option. Jesus said, be baptized. He didn't say if you feel like it or convenient, just do it. Now, if it's true to this, the confession of, of sins, and again, I don't want to hear a laundry list. By getting baptized, you're saying, I'm a sinner. I had one guy years ago, this is the 1980s, years ago, he was from San Francisco, that might do something. Oh, I know what was going on in 1980 in San Francisco. He was some higher up at his job. He, his job required him to come to Hawaii often. He'd always come into it. We had a bookstore at the time. And he'd come in. We are friends. And I didn't discern anything. I thought he was a brother. One day, one of the visits, he goes, I need to get baptized. Now, he always had one, maybe two young men with him that I always thought was part of the job. No, it was part of his entertainment. He was involved in a sin that everyone's afraid to mention any, anymore. Homosexuality, like, oh, wow, we, we can't talk about that. I know somebody, everybody knows somebody you might be the one link to that person in an in a immoral lifestyle. Are you salt? You might be the link that says, hey, you know what? God's Word says you need to get right. But some people are more concerned of making friends than they are of being faithful to the Lord and being salt. I don't mean be rude. But this guy 
One day, he's saying, I want to get baptized. I go, great, we'll go do this. And the Lord opened my eyes. I saw the, the young guy that was with him, going like, smirking, like, oh, whatever. And he showed me what was going on. I ran into my office, shaking. So at the baptism, he confesses. He said this, I started buttoning my shirt with the wrong button. So it's like, you, we've all done it. You get the wrong buttonhole for the button, and, but you're making progress. You're going up, he goes, now I get to the end of my life and I see the whole thing's wrong. I want to get right with God. That was a confession. And he got right with God that day. Now, baptism doesn't save anybody. You know, some people say, uh, we actually were at a Bible study and going around, and around hi, how long have you been saved? Some people in that group got, well, I was baptized on, no, we didn't ask you that. When did you first give your heart to Jesus Christ? When did you first surrender? But some people, no, I, at baptism. Baptism doesn't save. It's like the thief on the cross. Hey, Jesus, remember me when you get to this paradise of yours. Today, you'll be with me. I mean, hey, a few more minutes, and we're gone. He didn't get baptized. I always think if he could have gone down for the cross and get back, he would have, but he didn't have time for that. He's nailed to a cross. Baptism doesn't save you. It's what baptism speaks of. My heart has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want the entire world to know I am washed on the inside and I'm now living for Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism is all about. So, why would people go out to see John? Who would go out there? I think maybe they were curious. Maybe they heard this, there's this big brouhaha, something's going on out in the desert, let's go. You know, we're, we don't have video games. We don't have music, TV, we don't have any of these distractions. We got time, let's go see what's going on out there. Now, what's interesting is Jesus said this in Luke, I think it's Luke 7. Uh, what did you think you were going out there to see? When you went to see John the Baptist, what, what did you, a reed shaking, you know, one of those sticks with a hot dog thing on the top? Wait, you thought a little plant that's going to be pushed around by the wind? I don't think so. He said, those who were born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John. Crazy. So what did you go out to see? What, do you think you're going to be entertained? No, you got challenged to, to get right with God. So here's the first question. Hey, John, who are you? Who are you? And he right away goes, well, I'm not the Christ. This is who I'm not. And, and the idea is here, he doesn't want to confuse people. He doesn't want to draw attention away from Christ. He doesn't want to take credit for something Jesus is doing. Uh, that's a good note for us. Later on in John chapter 3, He's going to say, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I rejoice when I hear the bridegroom is happy, Christ marrying his bride, the church. So he don't, he don't confuse me with Christ. I, I'm, not, I'm not there. Well, what about Elijah? Well, this is a tricky one. Because in Malachi, we're told that Elijah will come before the great day of the Lord. 
Now, they're going, well, maybe you're fulfillment of Elijah. And John goes, no, I'm not. Complicated, because Jesus at one point goes, if you're ready for this, John was Elijah. And yet, we believe Elijah is coming before the great day of the Lord. He's very possibly one of the two witnesses found in the book of Revelation. Elijah never died. Seems he'll, uh, he'll come back as one of those two witnesses. So what does it mean? It means John went forth, we, from the beginning, we know this, in Luke chapter 1, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Very similar ministries, the spirit and power of Elijah. So a Jewish Passover, I love this. When a Jew has a Passover feast in his house, they have an empty chair door is open, waiting for Elijah to come. I think it's great to have a physical reminder of a promise of God. And they're going, see that chair? Someday, that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. For us, you see, I don't have a physical reminder, but there's a prophecy called the rapture of the church that's going to be fulfilled, hopefully, in our lifetime. And I want to be reminded of this because it helps me to purify myself or to keep myself pure, to keep myself out of temptation. And I want to, to be aware there's a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled, hopefully in our lifetime, the rapture of the church. So they ask him, well, are you the prophet? You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. The prophet is, now we're going back to Moses' time, thousands of years prior, and Moses promised, there's going to be a prophet like me. That's Jesus. It wasn't John the Baptist. So he goes, no, 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 I'm not, the, I'm not that guy either. So I love this. So what do you say about yourself? In other words, who are you? Now, when people ask you, who are you? What's your answer? We're getting into application already. What's your answer? Well, what do you say about yourself? He said, well, I'm a groovy guy, you know, I'm, which is a word that nobody uses anymore. It just came out of nowhere. I'm really good-looking and humble and athletic, whatever it is. You're lying through your teeth. But the thing is, who, what do you say about yourself? Note this. This is such wisdom. John answers, well, what the Bible says about me. He doesn't say, well, I was born, you know, Zacharias, Elizabeth. No, he says, this is what the Bible says about me. And then he quotes the prophecies. He's the one coming that uh, is going to tell people to get right for the Lord. So their second question, well, so why are you here? You know, you're not fitting our categories yet. Why are you here? Who gives you the authority to do all this stuff? I'm here to fulfill my calling. By pointing people to Jesus. Remember, he's going to do that. There's the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. Now, he also says, I'm a servant. And this, 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 uh, the thing about I'm not worthy to untie his sandal, this, in their history, you have to go back a couple thousand years to see, okay, this is what he said. What did it mean to them? Then you get the application, what does it mean to us? So this would be called the interpretation. Uh, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. What do you mean? 
That doesn't mean much to our society today. So in washing bare feet, you'd have to remove the sandal, right? But to do that, to untie that sandal strap was the lowest slave in the house. He's saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. When it comes to Christ and my service, we are not, he's not the big buddy in the sky. He's God Almighty. He's the King of Kings. I realize my position before him. I'm not worthy to loosen his sandal strap. So for a, um, a, a rabbi, so a teacher, they would have their disciples, and they would require their disciples to, to be servants. They wouldn't ask them to untie their sandal because it was considered too low. And John goes, I'm lower than that. I'm not worthy to do it. So in other words, your job description might change, but the title doesn't. The job title is servant. Servant of the Lord. Love servant or bond servant is called. Where the, the love servant says, I, there's no place else I'd rather be. There's no one else I'd rather be with than Jesus Christ, and I am his servant. Whether I'm a mechanic, whether I'm a missionary tomorrow, doesn't matter. That job description might change. The job title, servant. That's what John's saying. I am a servant. Now, why are you here? What about this Lamb of God? So we pick it up in verse 29. Just finish out this part for today. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And behold, the Lamb of God, he said this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he of whom I said, after me comes the man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water, meaning I'm preparing the way. John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, so this would be God, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. Um, I don't know how many former Catholics we have in here. I was a former Catholic. I have, God bless you. Ecum Spiritu Tuo. Are you Latin? The Latin man? Okay. I'm old. We had the Latin mass. I had no idea what I was saying. Uh, but here it is, the Lamb of God. I point this out because this is how I share with Roman Catholics. And I've used this, God has used this to lead many to Jesus Christ. They say this every mass. Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. It's repeated every mass. It's scripture. And so I'll ask, hey, uh, I remember this one guy was 60 years old. He has literally said this every Mass for 50-plus years. So we're talking hundreds, maybe thousands of times you've said that. Do you know what you, what does that mean to you? Do you know what you're saying? Verbe, every one of them has gone, no. You're saying it. But you, and I'm not trying to shame them, but to build a bridge to talk about what this means. They wanted to know who John was. 
John wants them to know who Jesus is to this day. So he points out it's a substitutionary lamb. It's taken away the sin, singular, of the world. So what it goes back to is the Passover lamb, where the Jews, you go to Moses' time, book of Exodus, they were to take this perfect lamb, bring it into the house for a few days, get to know it, maybe name it as a pet. But no, that innocent lamb, we are going to transfer the guilt of our sin onto him. And it gets very gross. They would take that lamb and hold their hands on his head and confess their sins onto that lamb. They did this once a year. And then they would slaughter the lamb, slit its throat, take some of the blood, paint the doorposts of their house, something that was in a cross shape. But then they had to get in the house. The whole idea is, I'm a sinner. This innocent lamb has now just assumed all my guilt and died in my place as a substitute. So this was every year, every year. And then here's John going, you know, God has a lamb. You don't have to do this anymore. Here's God's provision where you can confess your sin unto Christ and have him assume all your guilt, but he's only slain one time not once a year. So he was killed. I confess my sin unto him as my substitute, and then I abide with him. This is not like, oh, yeah, I just did that in third grade. No, it's a life changer. I am now abiding in him, following him, loving him. So when he said the sin of the world, he means everyone's sin clumped together in this huge ball. Have you ever seen the, the biggest rubber band ball in the world? You know, what is that, Arizona someplace? I, but you've seen it. Really spectacular. It's just a huge ball. That's nothing. All your sin of the whole world, past, present, and future, all at once, flung at Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's where he goes, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Because at that point, he became the sin of the world. He took on your, your guilt, paid the price, and said, it is finished. It's an accounting term, paid in full. Not, I did my part, now you do your part. No, it's paid in full. So now it becomes a gift that you don't earn, you receive. And the good news, here's John going, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. So this one guy, he's, he's in my office years ago, 60 years old. His wife had died. Her husband had died. Now they're going to get remarried or married to each other. She's a believer. He's not. God, what do I do? We just marry believers to believers. And I shared this story because he was a Catholic saw the light go on, he accepts the Lord right there on the spot as the Lamb of God who took away his sin. Now, two questions. Here's where Paul the Apostle flips it and asks Jesus the two questions. Paul, early on in Acts, Acts chapter 9, his name is Saul. 
Jesus, and he's persecuting Christians. He said he persecuted them to the death. Bad news. He's on the road to Damascus. He wants to kill more Christians. He wants to, you know, take them into prison. And he gets knocked to the ground. Some think it was on a donkey. Some think he was walking. It just says he was knocked to the ground. And Jesus calls out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When a guy's name is mentioned twice, he's saying, I love you. That's why when Jesus is on the court, my God, my God, he's twice. Why are you, why me? So I wouldn't have to blame them. So Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, wait, 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 who are you? <laughs> who are you? You know, he just hears a voice. And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he said this, it's life-changing. He goes, you know what's hard for you to kick against the goads? You know, what is that? Let's go back 2,000 years. A goad would be like a pointed stick or an object where the rider of a donkey would use it to hit the donkey or the horse, whatever, and whoop, get its attention, pick up the pace, turn with me, stop, hit. And God's saying, he's using this imaginary, uh, this imagery to say, I'm using your circumstances to try to draw you to me. And instead of going, oh, a God of love is drawing. No, it's like, what are you doing? And imagine riding a donkey and somehow turning around and kicking the stick. That you're all contorted out of, you must be on America's Got Talent because you're so contorted. Like trying to kick this thing, he goes, look at your foot. I'm trying to bless you, I'm trying to lead you, I'm trying to draw you, and you're just kicking at it all. Your foot is all bloody, bruised, damaged, you may never walk again. Paul, I'm trying to draw you to me, and instead of recognizing that, you're kicking at the circumstances. You ever wonder, you ever kick against goats? This past week, where God was using that object, get your attention, stop, pick it up, turn right, turn left, and instead you're going, ah, you're finding fault with God. You're resisting it. It's a natural tendency. So Paul was asked, why are you kicking against the goats? You're not responding to the Holy Spirit the proper way. So Paul's first question, who are you, God? No, God's asking us, who are you? Well, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Second question, well, what do you want me to do? Meaning, why am I here? You know, it's something that evolution does not address. Evolution, basically, you're this thing, you know, many, many circumstances happen and you, you became a person. You go, so there's no design, there's no designer, there's no purpose. That's really depressing to go through your whole life and go, ah, there's no purpose. Yeah, there is. You're created on purpose, for a purpose. And God wants you to discover that purpose. And, and so the evolution has, it doesn't have any answer. It's just depressing. So the idea is, why are you here? John the Baptist says, well, I'm, I'm who they, they say I am. I'm sorry, the purpose is I'm here to point people to Jesus Christ. I'm here to fulfill my part of the Great Commission. 
so many people, what they're doing really is simply consuming their lives on themselves, kind of oblivious to what God wants to do in their lives. So here's our application. Two questions. Who are you? John the Baptist said, I am who the Bible says I am. Or I am who God says I am. Could you do that today? Who does God say you are? Well, I'm created in the image of God. That's the opposite of evolution. And no, I'm not a mistake. I'm on purpose. I have a creator. There's a design for my life. There's a purpose. I want to fulfill that. So I've been created in the image of God. I've blown it. I have sinned. But notice, I'm forgiven. That's the only way to go through life. Doesn't say I'm perfect. It says I'm forgiven. I still mess up. Maybe more than some of you do. But I'm forgiven. I can confess unto the Lamb who takes all the guilt of my sin. I want to be present tense with him and be up to date and say, oh, I am forgiven. That's the only way to go through life. Those who, are, who sense they're not forgiven, what a depressing place to be. What a weight. And maybe you're drinking it away or pilling it away or, or just thinking something else. No, you want to settle this. Who am I? I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ. Who am I? I'm a new creation. <laughs> Go figure. Old things pass away. New things. Are you rehearsing these things? Or are you going by your feelings? I don't know if I'm that today. Come on. This is who God says you are. So to answer, who are you? It, this is who God says I am. You know what else? I ain't been chosen by God. Go figure. I don't understand. I just enjoy it. The old cliche, I would have never chosen me. Good thing he chose us before the foundation of the world. He would have never chosen us. You know what? He knew exactly what he's getting into. Chosen. Now, I watched some of the football draft in the last few days. My wife is really excited. No. She's stoked that she knows, hey, the draft is on. Mike's watching it. She'd come into the room, and I'm crying. And she'd go, are you crying again? Yeah, I just... <laughs> Why are you crying? Did this guy get on it? No, 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 he's on another team. But they did this background story. And this guy's 22. He's gone through these trials. He's done this. He's prepared for this his whole life. He just got a call. You're accepted. And then they'd have a lot of the coaches would call it. And then this is why I was crying. The coach would say, hey, how's that? Good. <laughs> you know, the guy's going, a coach is calling me? He goes, hey, you ready to join a team? <laughs> he just cry. The whole room, he's got his uncles and cousins and who, strangers or whatever is in the room. They're all shouting. I start crying. He's accepted. He's on the team. You're accepted in Christ. You're not on the outside. You're not wishing, I wish I could be accepted. I wish I could. You're there if you love Jesus Christ, if you surrender to him, if you see him. That's the one who took my sin. That's the one who took my guilt. You're accepted a lot better than on a football team. I'm accepted. I'm excited. You wait. He's coming back. And he's going to say, hey, Mike, come on over here. Give me a hug. That's the God I know. You might not hug him, but I'm going to. 
Accepted in the beloved. I got a little ahead of myself on that one. Okay. I'm bought with a price. Now, when I feel worthless, I need to go back to this scripture. Worthless, I don't know why I'm here. God claims I'm worth it. Peter says, you weren't bought with silver or gold like other slaves. But here's this guy. Remember this guy carried all the fish out? And said, big. He just, he's got to be big, burly. Took, what, how many, 200 some fish in a net at one. That's kind of a big guy. You weren't bought with silver and gold, but with the precious. See when a guy like that says, precious blood of Christ, it tells me that means something to you. I've been bought with a price. God says I'm worth it. I've been rescued, redeemed, reconciled. I was once unreconciled. God's there, wait, come on. Now I'm reconciled and rescued. I mean, we have all this emphasis on rescuing dogs. I get it. I love dogs. But I've been rescued. Have you been rescued? How about this? I am a friend of God. Now, this is a great song. We don't sing it a whole lot here. We need to. Thunder used to sing it. I think you need some soul brother up here leading it. Karen and I went to um, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Whoo! Their choir is bigger than this church. Their choir doesn't know volume 10. They're on 12, 19, whatever. But then the thousands of people in the seats, they're all saying, I am a friend of God. And I go, whoa, I think they believe it. It's just wonder. Tell Tyler, because he's not into the song, tell him, hey, we should do that song. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Now, I am, do you know the song I'm talking about? I am a friend of God. What a celebration. Come on, <laughs> I'm a friend of God. Go figure. You know, do you know that surfer? No, I know God. You want to be impressed? I know God. You want to meet him? Come on. I'm a friend of God. I'm adopted by God. He chose me on purpose. Their adoption was the old way, like you go in the hospital. Okay, I'll take that one. He chose me. He adopted me. And in their culture, for Roman culture, once you're adopted, you could not be unadopted. I am a child of the king of kings. I need to live like it. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means you're not going to lose me. I'm sealed. I'm signed, sealed, and almost delivered. Someday I'm going to be delivered. I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'm not going to lose. God's not going to lose me. He sealed me with the Holy Spirit, which means I'm heaven bound. When you're in a trial this coming week, would you rehearse these things? Who are you? I'm who God says I am. I'm who the Bible says I am. I am this. I am forgiven. I'm a child of the King of Kings. I'm heaven bound. Guess what? You'll be victorious. You'll be victorious. <laughs> I'm not trying for clapping. I'm trying for reality. Guys, we should be the happiest people in the world. Not because we don't have no trials, but we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. We're heaven bound. We could go there today. How cool would that be? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Second question. Why are you here? 
I mean, if God saved you on, he created you on purpose, he saved you on purpose, he's got a purpose. So Lord, why am I here? See, in the Old Testament, they had this poured out water offering. Did you know about this? Like David, they're under attack. He goes, man, I wish I had some water from back in. And some guys, soldiers, broke through the lines, got the water, came back, and he goes, whoa, you wanted to, yeah, but I can't consume it on myself. I'm just going to pour it out before the Lord. And it's symbolic of, I don't want to consume my life on myself. I'm going to pour it out before the Lord. Lord, it's yours. It's yours. How many people, how many Christians are saying, no, it's mine. I've worked hard for this. It's mine. I want to consume it on myself. And you know, you're going to get to heaven and the angels are going to go, what was that all about? God had so much more in store. And you just consumed it on yourself. Pour it out for the Lord. Now, why are you here? If you're saved on purpose, you're created on purpose. He's got a purpose. Why are you here? I'm a bondservant. My, I might be a mechanic today. I might be a missionary tomorrow. So the job description can change. The job title does not. I'm a love servant. That's all I am. Chuck Smith was one of the men most used in this century, last century. They ask him, hey, uh, they're introducing him to some big swanky thing. How should we introduce you? Just as a servant of the Lord. There's a guy who gets it. I'm a servant. That's all. I'm here to love God, love one another. Pretty simple. I'm here to fulfill my purpose. I would think that as a result of this morning, some of you are going to do some serious soul searching and go, am I fulfilling my purpose? Have I ever poured out my life before God? Said, I'm not going to consume it on myself. It's yours. Have I ever just surrendered that way? Or have I ever said, God, what is your purpose for my life? And, and taken some time. And here's the thing. Here's my favorite scripture. You've heard me say this before. I pray this over people all the time. May God, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. How? There's only one way. You fall in love with Jesus and you follow him. He doesn't give you a 50-year plan. This is my purpose. For you. No, he says, follow me. Just walk with me. So I end with this. Are you there? Because it's hard to kick against the goats. If you're not there, God's trying to get you there. And you could be one who's just turning around and kicking that thing, and your foot's all bloody and messed up, and you go, why is this God of love doing this? He's trying to draw you ever closer to his heart. I think for some of you, this is a reality check. He doesn't want you to leave here and, oh, what was that about? He wants you to leave here surrendered to him, saying, I, I, whatever it takes, God, I want to get to where you want me. I, I just, maybe I've just been wrong this whole time. I surrender. What does it take? Stop kicking against the goads. He's leading you to this intimate relationship with him. He's leading you to fulfill his purpose for your life so you feel fulfilled. Let's pray, folks.